morning, church. Let's stand together.
give him a hand this morning? Hey, if you will, will you look at your neighbor and just, since we can't shake hands right now, will you wave at somebody, welcome them to church this morning? Here we go. Christmas this year. We're going to continue with another Christmas song. It's Christmas and worship together. Let's just continue.
Oh, oh. 
shall be you this morning we declare you as wonderful counselor the everlasting father prince of peace and mighty God and I pray peace that passes all understanding right now in your people and your name will be Emmanuel God with us you're here with us this morning we worship you Everything we do should be honoring and glorifying and pleasing to you. Help us not get caught up in not just a pandemic happening around us and not just in the, the shopping of the Christmas season. Let us seek you like the wise men once did daily as we lay everything at your feet. Prince of Peace and a mighty God. We worship you this morning and we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, Amen. You can be seated. morning. I'm so excited to be here with you all this morning and if 
you know me very much, I, I always love to be able to get the chance to speak to you guys and, and have the opportunity to, to speak and, and speak life. But I'm, I'm super excited this morning because I get to start the Christmas series. And if you know anything about me, you know that I am a Christmas fanatic, uh, being called a Christmas nut at times. Uh, I love everything that there is about Christmas. I love the music and the decorations. I love the movies, as you can see my shirt this morning. Everything that there is about Christmas, I love it. So I'm super excited to be here this morning. And this series that we're gonna start this week talks about the Christmas story. And not only does it uh, talk about the Christmas story, but we have wrapped up the Christmas story with just one verse. And that, that verse is John three sixteen. And I think that that verse is probably the most memorized and known verse uh, in the Bible. And it simply says that, for God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So when we look at this story, and I started looking at this, I started thinking about even the amount of time that I've been on this earth. And if you listen to those that, that have been older than you or your elders or your parents or your grandparents talk, you, you've heard them talk about the decline in the Christmas spirit, the true meaning of Christmas. We, I can make the argument this morning that I believe that that's because there's a decline in Christianity. There's a decline in people believing a decline in, in trust in God's word. And we ask the question and we find ourselves wondering how is it that we live in such a blessed nation? How is it that we are so blessed in America and how is it God continues to bless us over and over and over again in this nation? But it's almost offensive now in that same nation to be a Bible-believing Christian. What is it in this message? What is it in the Bible that they can't stand? We have seen an increase in people becoming agnostic. And agnostic simply means that somebody that really don't believe in anything or, or, they, or they don't know what they believe in. They believe in a higher power but not really sure what it is, not really the Christian faith and not believing that we have someone that we need to worship or that we need to acknowledge We've seen an increase in people being atheists, which is kind of the same thing, but only they just don't believe in anything. And even with this increase of all this stuff, we still live and we are still blessed and we still see the works of God's hands in this nation. Even when we look around right now and we see a country that's divided and we see all the mess and all the stuff that's going on in our nation, we still can say that we live in the most blessed nation currently and in the history of the world. Some stats for you this morning. The poorest person in America is richer than uh, three-fourths of the rest of the world. Half of those people slept on the floor or on the ground last night. Three-fourths of the world lives on less than a dollar a day. So that what you spent this morning at Starbucks would be their weekly wage. So how does this happen? Why do they fight against this word? What is in this message what is in this Bible? What is, what is the mess, or in the message of God that, that they are so scared of? And how do they get to make it the, our way of life? How do they make it to where we can not, without having some kind of argument lots of times, be able to speak the truth? 
How is it that we cannot be a Bible-believing Christian without being labeled as hate? How is it that they do that and I got one simple word and it's doubt? See, I have a key thought this morning that the enemy doesn't come to have you deny God. He comes to get you to doubt God. We see this example in the Garden of Eden. See, the, the lie that the serpent told Eve, the lie that the enemy came in was not some big elaborate plan. It was very simple. It was one little true or one little lie that he was able to do. It would say to her, Did really did God really say you cannot eat from this tree? Did God really say that this is what he didn't want you to do? See, God really doesn't want what's best for you. God is keeping something for you. He's afraid that if you knew what he knew, you wouldn't need him anymore. You'd be more powerful. And, and he, he does his small little lies. But with all his deceiving power, he was able to turn a piece of fruit and make a piece of fruit worth doubting God. One piece of fruit that was able to bring sin and change the relationship of, of humanity and God with doubting. So what does the enemy say about this book? What is it that the world believes about this book instead of the truth? Is, is this book a message of God hates? That God is a hateful God? That, that God is a God of hate? Is this book a book of rules and regulations that's impossible to live by? Now some churches and some Christians are guilty of making it seem that way. Sometimes we're guilty of making it seem like it is a book of regulations and laws and things that no one can ever live up to the standards of God. What is the message that is so powerful that it must be rejected every time you turn around? One of those most powerful truths that the enemy's so scared of is in John 10 and 10. It says this, a thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. See, when we read this normally, we really focus on the beginning that it's about the enemy coming to kill and destroy. But if we read the second half, we see the word of Jesus that says, I came so they can have real and eternal life and more and better than they ever dreamed of. Do you think if the people of this nation and the people of this world really believed that there was a God in heaven that had a dream and a purpose for them, more and greater than anything we could ever dream or imagine, that they would be fighting this book? No. How good is the devil at his job that he's able to take that message? He's able to take that there's a God in heaven that has something better that we can ever imagine and not only distort it, but turn that into one of the, our biggest enemies. Turn it around that if you believe that or you preach that or you teach that or you accept that, that you are not, you are not a good human, you are of hate, you, you, that God is our enemy. When, like I said, when most of us read John 10, 10, we see the thief only comes, still kill and destroy. And we really look at the kill and destroy. And I know growing up, listening to this being taught and preached in church, Kill and destroy, it's very aggressive. That's what sticks out. And you just, you think about, like, you know, I remember a kid being terrified thinking about the devil coming to literally kill me, you know, in my sleep or, you know, like things that would terrify me as a child. But I think sometimes we forget 
the first part, and that's still. See, many plans of the enemy doesn't come to kill or destroy you. They come to steal your faith and hope and confidence in a God that loves you. So when we ask ourselves, how does it happen? How, does it, how do we have this doubt? It's really not that big of a mystery. If we've been on this earth any time at all, and you've had a lot of experiences that, that sometimes things that we prayed for or we believed for have collided with his word. So we find ourselves asking the question, do I still believe in this book? Do I still believe in the word of God is true even when I'm currently not experiencing it? Do I believe that there's a God in heaven that has better plans for me, that has a better purpose for me, that has a, a dream for me that more than I can ever imagine while I'm currently going through hell? While I'm currently, uh, my finances are a mess and my marriage is a mess and currently my kids are a mess. Is there, do I really believe, can this be true that while, while my loved ones are suffering and while things are going on in this world that I believe that there's a God in heaven? See, it's really not that big of a mystery how the enemy is able to convince people of this. He is stolen something from us. He's the belief that we have a God in heaven that has a better dream or purpose that we can ever imagine. See, one of the most tragic parts of life and, and in this book is that you don't get the God that you want. You get the God that you see. You don't get the God that you want. You get the God that you see. And let me explain that this morning. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus went into his hometown. And it says that he couldn't do many miracles. So many people recognized him as the son of Joseph and Mary. They recognized him as a carpenter. It's because of their unbelief, he couldn't do many miracles. It didn't say he didn't do any, but it said he could not do many. So what this, what this means is that what was available for many was only experienced by a few. Everybody had the opportunity to experience God's presence. Everybody had the opportunity to experience the miracle working power of Jesus, but some of them saw the son of God, but others, they didn't see the man that was walking on water. They didn't see the man that was healing the sick and raising the dead. They saw the son of Mary and Joseph, the kid that grew up down the road, the kid that, or the carpenter that, that fixed, fixed the, your neighbor's house. But others saw the son of God. See, this morning, let me tell you, if you, if you want to see a carpenter, you can, get your, you can get your house fixed. You can get your roof fixed. You can get siding put on your house. You can get new concrete poured. I told him this morning when I was preparing all those examples, it was things that, from my house that I needed done. Like, if you can see a carpenter, all these things can be, get done in your home. But if you see a savior, you can get your life fixed. You can get your marriage back. You can get your kids back. You can become transformed. Because you don't get the God you want, you get the God you see. See, a generation of people have watched their families fall apart. And we see this generation after generation after generation. Just, and the Bible tells us it's going to get worse, but we see it. And we can hear it, and it's not just, you know, the same 
I used to, I remember rolling my eyes as a kid of hearing my, my parents and my grandparents and it ain't like the good old days. And you, you know, you're thinking, what's wrong, with my, what's wrong with my generation? What's wrong with my time now? But as you get older, you start to see there is certain things that is getting worse with time and the Bible tells us that's gonna happen, right? But see, another trick that the enemy has now, I'm not talking about myself because I am not a father, but there is a, there's a title that God has given to men that he's only cherished for himself, and that is father. And this is another trick that the enemy has up his sleeve to help us doubt who God is and, and to doubt our father, our heavenly father. Because see, he's taken the role of the earthly father and distorted it. A lot of you all know that I teach um, special education, but the, the kids that I have are listed as behavioral. And these are kids that have done certain things or have certain things happen to them that they cannot function in the regular classroom at all times due to behavioral issues. I have seven kids on my caseload, which are all boys. And sometimes it could be a rough crowd. Sometimes there's plenty of excitement in my room. But when I started thinking about this, there's something that six out of the seven kids on my caseload have in common. Something bad in their home life has happened and they all, those six, come from a fatherless home. They don't have a father present in their lives. Their father has left or, or even if they are present, they're very, very absent. They're not the role model. They're either in jail or something has happened that those kids are not in, doesn't have a father in their lives. And when I was studying and, and getting my degree for this job, that's something that constantly, when I noticed taking some of these behavioral classes, taking my social work classes that went along with it, that I noticed that was a common study. A common thing that kept coming up was, does these people that struggle, like the studies and the statistics of them coming from fatherless homes, when I was hired, when they told me that they was giving me the job, they told me we really believe that these boys can benefit from having a male influence in their lives because that's something that they don't have. So people that run the school or are in the education world, they understand the effects that it has on the behavioral and on the, the mental and the social aspects of these kids not having a father in their home. And it's not just in the education world. You can look at studies of people that's in jail when we start looking at violence on our street, one thing that always comes up is they bring up the rate and the, the statistics and the percentage of these people that are coming from fatherless homes. See, before the enemy could ever distort our view of our heavenly father, he had to first distort the view of our earthly father. See, our heavenly father is one that is a provider. He's a lover. He will never leave us and never forsake us. He's always there when we need him. We can call on him anytime and he can provide whatever it is that we need. And sometimes, and we see a lot in society now, an earthly father that doesn't provide, that didn't show love, that wasn't there and that left. And when they left, so left the faith of a generation of, of, of people in God that, that they're, they're trusting God, the father that ever had a better dream and plan. When their earthly father left, so did the, the, the idea that they're able to comprehend that there is a heavenly father that loves them. When their earthly father left, so did the idea that, that we could have joy and we can have a heavenly father that can provide anything that we need. 
This is how we got where we are. But today, set aside the doubt and set aside the negativity and, and the things that's happened in the world and the decline in, the, in this message, today I have a message of hope. It is the message that God has sent to humanity. It's that one scripture that we talked about in John three sixteen for God so loved the world. See, in the beginning of this scripture, if you go back a little bit, Jesus is talking to them about being born again. And they're not really understanding what he means by being born again. He goes to explain it to them. See, being born again simply means accepting salvation. It doesn't mean just going to church. It doesn't mean being baptized. It means accepting salvation. The old person, the old man, the one that was born in sin is dead. Now there is a newborn Christian, a newborn person inside of you. You're completely different. You're completely changed. And he explains that to them. And then he goes on to tell them about this message. Let's read John. We're going to start back at uh, 10. Jesus answered Nicodemus, are you not or aren't you the respected teacher in Israel? And yet you don't understand these revelations. I speak eternal truths about things I know, things I have seen and experienced, and still you don't accept what I reveal. If you're unable to understand and believe what I've told you about the natural realm, what will you do when I begin to unveil the heavenly realm? No one has risen into the heavenly realm except the son of man who also exists in heaven. And just as Moses in the desert lifted up the brass replica of the snake on the pole for all the people to see and be healed, so the son of man is ready to be lifted up so that those who truly believe in him will not perish but be given eternal life. For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his, only and, or his one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. As I mentioned, John three sixteen is probably the most memorized scripture in the Bible. But one thing I think that we kind of are guilty of sometimes of forgetting of the original author we read it in the Bible, we know it's the word of God, and we, and we know that, that it was wrote in the book of John, but these were words that were spoke from Jesus' mouth. We forget to link it back to Jesus himself. See, and this is significant because he had his perspective of his father. See, no one has a perspective of a father like their kids. This couple weeks, me and my brother have spending a lot of time with each other. And as we get older, we say certain things and we continue to tease one another about us being so much like our dad. As we get older, we see certain things in ourselves or in each other. Josh will tell me, he's like, man, I was jumping onto Andrew the other day and things that like, I just heard dad's voice. Stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. Things that dad would say to us as kids, he's now saying to his kids. And, and the more I'm around him, the more facial expressions and things I see and looks that he has of my father. Things that if I put them side by side, that you wouldn't be able to necessarily see. Yeah, they kind of look alike. But there's things, and I've seen my dad at the age of my brother. I've seen my dad when he was that age, and I, I noticed there's, there's facial expressions that I know about my dad 
that I see in Josh. I know that there's looks that means that he's proud of me. I know that there's looks that means I'm in trouble. When I was growing up, my mom and dad, they'd done praise and worship a lot growing up. And I was the type of kid that liked to go and promise my mom and dad, don't make me go sit with sister so-and-so, you know, the grouchy old lady that would always make me sit there and be quiet and all that. Don't let me go sit with her, I'll be good. I'll sit here with the kids, I'll be good. They gave me a chance. As soon as mom and dad got on stage, started singing their songs, I started wandering around. Started crawling under the pews. I started going to the back, going to the bathroom, getting a drink, coming in, coming out, laughing, jumping on the, the, on the chairs. And they would sit there and they'd be singing and I thought there was nothing they could do. And they'd be sitting, they would always play the, the good old fashioned Southern gospel music. My dad would play bass and he was just rocking and doing the slides back and forth. And he'd lock eyes with me. And he would see me and he would do one thing I will never forget. He would take his thumb, take a minute, pause from the bass and he would tap his belt like that. And I knew that was a signal and that was a sign. No one else in the church knew what dad was doing, but I knew that that was a sign that that's what was come. And I could take you back to the Lincoln Church of God in West Hamlin, West Virginia, to where I grew up, to where we called it the Wailing Wall, where he would take me outside to give me my punishment and bring me back in. But I knew those things about dad. My siblings know certain things about dad. So this is why it's so significant, this word that Jesus had, he coming and telling us that his father loved the world because it was a perspective of his father. See, other, ones, other people might know my dad. You maybe met my dad, you maybe talked to him before, but I have a perspective of him. I know his stance and beliefs on things. I know his likes and dislikes. I know his favorite food. I know his favorite color. I know what gets under his skin and how to push his buttons better than anybody in the world. Because we truly know him as a child, as his children. So our perspective of our father is important because no one knows him like we do. So like I said, this is why this is so important because Jesus' perspective of his father was the truth. It has more power than, than me speaking, saying God said this. There was more power than, than any other uh, prophet in the Old Testament or New Testament, John the Baptist, it had more power behind it because he had a perspective that no one else had of his father. That perspective that he was sharing with them was so powerful because he's about to come in here and he's about to tell them something that's about to blow them away. See, Jesus tells him, says, you've seen the works of my father. You've seen the sky and you've seen the mountains and you've seen the waters and the animals. Those are things that he has done. But he, then he says, uh, he tells them, but there is one that has been with God from the very beginning that sat at the right hand of the Father from the beginning of time, and that is me. He was there when his father decided to make mankind, knowing the outcome. See, when God creates something, he knows what's gonna happen in the beginning, the middle, and the end. That's what makes his perspective so powerful because Jesus says, there is only one that has come to you that has been with my father the entire time from the beginning, it's me. So here's my perspective. Here's the truth of my father. He sent me here to tell you, for God so loved the world. For God 
so loved the world, for God so loved you that he sent me here with a purpose, and that purpose was redemption. Again, as I said, God knows when he created us that we would fail. Before he created man, he created angels. And see, the difference in us is, is, and we have to have faith to believe in this word. We have to have faith to believe in a God in heaven. We have to have faith. See, the angels knew for, without a doubt that they was created by God. There was no faith involved. They knew what their purpose was. They knew who their creator was. They knew that there was a God in heaven that was greater than anything. And yet, still, one-third of the angels fell following Satan. And if the angels fell, knowing without a doubt that they was created by God, knowing without a doubt God's plans for them, knowing what they was created for, how much more do you think that somebody has to have faith would fall? God knew the outcome. And see, the devil and those fallen angels, they'll never be redeemed. They'll never be forgiven. So this is why it is his one goal to take as many of us down with him as he can. To steal the trust that we have in God, to be able to create that doubt we talked about in our minds because he, he's so jealous of God so loved us. That he sent his son for us in the form of a baby so we can be saved and have redemption. This Christmas miracle is not just a cool Sunday school lesson. It's a story that, that God came down to earth from heaven, not just as flesh, not as a man, but as a baby. Someone that ruled in heaven that was dependent on no one or no thing became completely dependent. That's why it's so important to realize and to wrap our head around the form of a baby because, see, God didn't need anything. God created everything. He was dependent on no one. Jesus was sitting at the right hand of his Father in heaven and came in the form of a baby that depended, his life depended on mankind. And he said, I will become a baby and I will be a servant to my parents. I will be a servant to others then I will go through whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And we, and we know if we, you've been in church very long, you know what that is. You, you've heard when we get to Easter time, especially you hear the story of what Jesus went through and what it took to get us come, to come back to him. So one day I can stand and I can tell them that there is one that is here that came to them that, that has been with the father from the beginning and it's me that they were, <clears throat> was in the beginning. And I was there when they, you created them, knowing what was gonna happen, knowing the outcome, but you still created them. But he sent me here, and I'm here to tell you, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world, for God so loved you. See, this is why I love Christmas time. It's not about the decorations, even though I love the decorations and it looks wonderful in here. And even though I love the presents, it's not about the presents. I love giving presents. I love receiving presents. I love blessing people during this time. 
It's not about the Christmas music or the Christmas movies, which I love, besides Hallmark. It's about the celebration. All of that can be combined. All those feelings of those things you love can be combined to be the celebration. And, and the celebration of what? It's the celebration of love. See, and, and this might sound cheesy to some, and this might sound like a Hallmark movie, but a key thought I had this morning is the Christmas spirit is a celebration of the gift of love to mankind. See, that, that, that thought is the reason why. This is why we are merry, or this is why we are happy this time of the year. That's why there's a joy that fills the air around this time of year. That is why we are more generous during this time of the year. Why our church adopts kids and makes sure they have a Christmas, why we help those in need, or how we're looking for ways to make people's lives better, make their Christmas experience a better time, because it's the time where we celebrate the love of God. Because we are celebrating the biggest and greatest example of love. You can call me crazy, and trust me, some do. This is why one of my favorite things to do after a stressful day during this time of the year, I come home from work, and I have, you know, it starts getting dark around 4.30 now. So it's a good time. I turn on my porch, Christmas lights, and I walk in, I turn on all my trees. Yes, trees, more than one. I turn on my, my decorations that goes up my stairs, and I put my fireplace on my YouTube TV, and listen to some Christmas music. And I just sit there and I stare at it and I relax and I absorb it all in. I try not to look at my trees too much because I have this issue where a green bulb can't be beside a green bulb and a red but like drives me nuts. So then I find them and I'm trying to read them. So I try not to look too hard at it. This is why I can sit and listen to you have yourself a merry little Christmas or dreaming of a white Christmas, or there's no place like home for the holidays. Things that's not even a religious song, and I can still feel God. I can still get emotional when I hear these, what would be considered a secular Christmas song. Because the spirit of Christmas is the celebration of the gift of love to mankind. This is why I love being with my family and friends, at not, not just on Christmas Day, but as much as I possibly can during this time of the year. And why I, why I buy gifts for those that I love and, and why, why I go and, and I'm so in your face about Christmas. This is why I wanna decorate in October. See, that, with that celebration that we're talking about, that celebration of the gift of love to mankind, it's a love that's so deep that's hard for us to explain or understand. It's, it's a love that, where it is so hard to explain and understand that the enemy is able to use that. It's easy for him to, to use that thought where we can't truly understand it, be able to fight, to silence, or censor the message of God. See, because what kind of life could we live what kind of miracle could take place in your life today? What kind of breakthrough could you see in your life if you could only 
accept, if you could only believe, if you can only grab a hold of, for God so loved the world. For God so loved you that he sent his son to be, a re, to be for us to have redemption that, so we can have salvation. That all those things that look like they're important, for all those things that, that look like that, that is holding us back, all those things we're struggling with, all those things that's fighting against us, God loved us. And that love is greater than anything this world can throw at us. Will you stand this morning? I'm not here this morning to make you to be a Christmas nut like I am. I'm not here to convince you that you shouldn't decorate outside for Halloween to go ahead and do it for Christmas so like me and my wife fight about every October. I'm not here to convince you to wear crazy Christmas sweaters to church. I understand that people have different views of Christmas and that sometimes Christmas to others is not as easy. We don't have loved ones here that was here last year or, or things change. Man, has things changed since I've been a kid? We had a house full at my grandmother's that we don't even, we don't even see now. Traditions and, and, and things that we did no longer exist. And sometimes that's really hard on people. Sometimes that not having things and things changing kind of sucks the, the energy or the joy out of Christmas sometimes. But this morning, what I am wanting you to understand, all that aside, God so loved the world. And we should understand that every day of the week. We should understand that every day of the year. This is the time that we have set aside to celebrate that very thing. And I want you to understand this morning that God so loved you, no matter what your current situation is. See, the Bible doesn't say, for God so loved you on your best day. For God so loved his followers, or for God so loved fill in the blank. See, there's nothing that we can do to make God love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. God has already shown and proven time and time and time again. If he never did nothing else for us in this world, he's already proven his love by sending his son. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for the spirit that we feel here today, God. Lord, and I ask that you just be able to wrap that love that we talked about this morning, God. That love that you, that you shown so powerfully, God, by sending your son in the form of a child, in the form of a baby, God. Allow us to be able to take that love, God, and wrap ourselves up in it, God, and be able to turn away every doubt, every deception, God, that the enemy tries to throw our way, God, to make us think anything else besides that you love us. God, let us be able to focus on this message, God. Let us be able to focus on the idea of you being our earth or our heavenly father, God, regardless of what 
type of earthly father or earthly situation we find ourselves in, God, that we have a father in heaven that loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for us, God. This morning, if you don't know God and you don't know that redemption that we're talking about or or that expression of being born again, I wanna give you the opportunity to do so this morning. A lot of times we call people, ask them to raise their hand or ask them to come to the front. But this morning, if you don't know God, I just want you to be able to simply, you can just say this, God, I'm a sinner and I need you. I'm a sinner and I need you. I recognize that I'm a sinner, God, and I confess my sins to you today, Lord. God, help me to live in your love, God. Help me to live in the path of righteousness, God. Today, allow the old man, the sinful man to die and a new man to be born. God, I accept your love, your mercy, and your grace over my life today. God, those of us that have already prayed this prayer, God, and those that have been, been, been in, the, in the game for a while, if you wanna say it that way, Lord, help us to remind us of your love, God. Allow this moment, God, allow this service, Lord, to be the start of something great to where we feel that love throughout the rest of this season, God. As we build on this sermon, God, and and this series, Lord, we continue to dive into your word and continue to go through the rest of this scripture and this verse, God. How us to be able to reveal to us, God, in our hearts and open up our eyes, God, to be able to see what you have for us, Lord, and understand that love like we never had before, God. Allow us to be able to feel that love that we never had before. In Jesus' name. We're gonna close with a song. Just sing this again. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. so excited to be able to be with our church family, being able to gather together, and we're thankful for that. Go out this week knowing that God loves you. Go out this week knowing that there's a God in heaven that has something for you, a plan for you bigger than you can ever dream or imagine. We'll see you guys next week.